Cool. Um, yeah, so like Scholar said, this is kind of a one-off sermon. Uh, and typically, I've, I've given a passage to speak from, or uh, it's part of a series, so I kind of have to pick something that falls in line with a certain topic or a certain passage that we're going through, whatever it may be. So this is kind of a fun one for me. I actually kind of had free range to pick whatever I wanted. And so I picked a passage that I had been kind of devotionally reading through and kind of kind of mulling over. So I'm excited to be able to share more so out of that posture today. Uh, and it's going to be more of a story. So uh, hopefully you can, you can jump along with us here. But uh, the, the title of what I've, I've titled this is Victory and Defeat. Um, it'll be out of Genesis 32. So if you want to go there, uh, I think it's page 16 in the blue Bibles <coughs> in front if you just want to you're better at page numbers than that. So uh, we're going to be there. Um, so I'm excited to be able to share this from you. Hopefully that will be encouraging to you today as I've went through this myself the last few weeks. Um, but first, I, was, I think a big theme in this story that we're going to look at is the idea of a label, uh, labeling somebody. Um, and for me, like the first, when I was thinking about labeling, I was thinking, okay, what, what's a good example of labeling? And I was like, the one that stuck out to me maybe that's in my life the most clear, like, idea of labeling and how it divides people was in the high school cafeteria. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you went to a bigger school where you would easily see the band people over here, the jocks over here, the theater people over here, like the skateboarder, like, like hacky sack, like, <laughs> like kind of gothic emo kids over here um, with the long hair. I might have been at that table at some point in my life. Um, <laughs> I'm coming back to that now. Um, Maybe the kids that were too busy doing homework and didn't have time to even eat lunch. They were just kind of sitting at the table cramming for the next test or whatever. So it's very divisive, and you can almost in some way put a, put a sign there because they sat there in the same place every week. Like we, I kind of had an assigned seat in a weird way at the table that I sat at in high school. And that's obviously a surface-level idea of labeling. Like it's what you like. It's what you look like. It's what you're good at or what you're not good at. It's kind of what you get placed in these little buckets kind of as a teenager that you're figuring out in this season of your life. But there's a guy we're going to look at today that has a label. Uh, in, back, in, back in the time of this, names carried a meaning behind them. Like our names, we just are family names. They're, maybe it sounds cool or it goes in line with whatever you want to go with, an edgy name or a classic name. But back in these times, names had like a meaning with the Hebrew name, what it sounded like, which we don't necessarily understand that. But the idea of Jacob, we're looking at Jacob today, and Jacob's name has a meaning behind it. And that meaning is basically to people, the, the deceiver, to grab what's not yours, to kind of step in front of someone. That kind of idea, that was what his name was. So maybe you can think about, maybe you have labels and names that you, maybe you've been, you can self-identify, I'm this kind of person. I'm introverted, I'm extroverted, I'm this, I'm that. Or you feel like people have given you names or titles that you're kind of thinking through. Maybe just think about that for a second. And I want us to kind of come together and listen to a story today. And just hear about this guy's story and how his name, like, really tells more about who he is. But also his name leads to a change when he meets God. So I'm looking forward to being in this story. And let's just go on a journey together. I don't know where you're at in your faith. I'm not sure if you're a Christian, not a Christian figuring it out somewhere in between. Uh, but I just encourage you to, for the next little bit to jump in here and let's look at this guy's story and see how God has changed, this, uh, changed Jacob's life. So if you want to read with me, 
Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 32, uh, starting in verse 22. Um, this is what verse 22 says. At the same night, he arose and took two of his wives, and two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. So we're going to stop right there for a second. I want to just kind of... Maybe you have no idea who Jacob is. Maybe you have no idea what's, what's going on in the story. So let me just kind of catch you up really quick with Jacob and what, where he's at and what he's about to do and who he's about to encounter the next day. So in the Old Testament, there's uh, one of the key figures is Abraham. And Abraham, I guess, would be his grandson. His name's Jacob. Uh, God's chosen people were people of Abraham, Israelites, one day. And ultimately, Jacob has been given this promise He's going to be a father of many people. And he's going to see this nation come together. But what he ends up doing earlier in the story is he takes his older brother's blessing. He takes his older brother's birthright, which was a big deal in that time. He dresses up as his brother. His, his father at the time, Isaac, was blind or had poor vision and couldn't tell. He, he deceived. and there, There's his name coming out. He deceived uh, his family uh, and stole what wasn't and his, which is the blessing and birthright of his brother Esau, which we'll come to later. Uh, he also, uh, in fear of his brother killing him, which I'm sure that would have been a good reason, he ran away. He ran away to another city uh, and kind of did it also deceitfully, kind of kind of like pushed him out the back door and he snuck out. Um, and then he ends up getting into this mess where he wants to marry a woman, but he ends up marrying another woman, but he still wants to marry the other woman. And just cause all, all this strife within that family because he doesn't love one of the wives because he loves the other one. The one he doesn't love can have kids, the one he loves can't. But just all this toil and like just drama and like like just all this stuff that's been a byproduct of his poor decision character, just him running away, not really owning up to his mistakes, and just kind of living his life how he wanted to do it. So now he's beating his I guess his, the, his wives. So his, their, their dad, they're leaving and heading back to where he was supposed to be the entire time. And he, he catches word that his brother's waiting for him in the desert on the way there. So he, he begins to kind of divvy up his family. He puts ones he loves in the furthest from the back so they don't get taken away. Uh, he's like trying to craft and put together a, a plan to like either attack his brother if need be, but he really wants to come in peace. But he He's got all these pieces strategizing, and even like the dad, the father-in-law, is like mad that he's leaving. So he really he has, he's he's between a rock and a hard place here. He's got a dad who's mad at him, and he's got his brother who might still kill him. He has no idea. And this is where we're at. Where he's this is the day before, or days before, whatever. He's the journey. They're making that journey. He takes his wives, his servants, his his children, and they cross the river. And Sends them away with everything that they had. And then let's, let's jump into verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So there's a shift in the story here. But there's, a, there's, there's a really important piece, I think, that I, I want to touch on is that he was alone. We don't know where that was at. Was it before the river, after the river, in the desert? Nonetheless, he was alone. Maybe for the first time in a long time, he was actually 
alone with his thoughts, alone with his feelings, alone with what was about to come, possibly death, possibly, possibly like losing everything he had, killing his brother, like stuff that he just is heavy stuff. He's alone. We don't, we don't know what he was thinking. But then out of, out of, almost out of nowhere, there's this, this, the next part of the sentence. A man wrestled with him to the breaking of day. So it kind of implies, if you think about breaking of day, this was at night. So this happened at night, alone, in a fight. I have a, uh, a classmate of mine at school, uh, is a, an MMA fighter. Like, and I've had friends that did MMA that were like a hobby. This dude's been like on ESPN, like like, has, and has won fights and has made a career out of it. He's he's legit, and they train and they train and they train, but they only fight, you know, like what twenty five minutes max, maybe twenty minutes max. And it, I mean, it's 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 pretty gory, it's pretty intense. It's not my favorite thing to watch, but it's intense. Like it's all, it's getting more and more popular in our in our day and age, but. It's something amazing to think about here, and I'm not saying that this was an MMA brawl. <laughs> Don't get that idea. But the idea that people were wrestling for all night is, is pretty amazing to think about for a second, right? Now, and I want to just touch on that this isn't like a mentally I'm wrestling with something, if we can use that terminology, or oh, like I'm emotionally wrestling whether I should do this or this, and there's just tur turmoil. Like the word wrestling here is actually like rolling in the dirt. Like physically getting like so, this man who we don't know who it is yet, and Jacob are rolling in the dirt, fighting for throughout the night, five, six, seven, eight hours. I mean, that, that's a pretty remarkable fight, a long fight, exhausting fight, and it. I think we're gonna see that Jacob begins to. I think the longer the fight goes on, the more clearly he sees who it is, even though it's dark. Let's keep going. Right now it's a mystery person. Who is this person? We have no idea. Verse 24. Or verse 25, sorry. When the man saw that he had, did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. But Jacob said, sorry, um, but then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So really what, what puts an end to the fight isn't some like miraculous thing. It's that Jacob got injured by this person. And it's like they went all night, and then finally he, like, there's an injury at the very end of the, the night, uh, which is interesting too. So we got this, got this fight with this mystery person, and at the very end of the fight, Jacob gets like basically a dislocated hip, and, that, and, he, like, he kinda, and they, they kind of let go. But then he asked for a blessing from this person. Again, we don't know who it is. At this point in the story, it could easily be Esau. It could be one of Esau's soldiers. It could be someone who just doesn't like Jacob. It's part of, the, part of the crew. They just wanted to fight. But something, as time went on, Jacob wanted a blessing from this individual. Interesting. So let's keep going. Maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll realize what's going on here as we, why he's asking for this. So, the guy, mystery person right now, verse 27, says this, what's your name? Jacob's, uh, and he says, Jacob. So, kind of an interesting question. I think there's, 
you can easily see the first part as being very like um, conversational. Like, hey, what's your name? Friendly, like a nice gesture, maybe just kind of wanting to have that more relationship. But I think it's actually a little bit more of let's bring up your past. Let's bring up what your name means and what that implies. More so, I think that's the question, not, hey, let's be nice and let's interge- We just fought for eight hours. Let, let me get your name real quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like that. It's like, hey, we just fought. You're asking for a blessing. Let's talk about that stuff that's happened in the past that you're trying to run away from and that you've been alone. And now you're alone. Here we are. We're going to address it now. The time is now to address your baggage, your deceitfulness, the, the pain that you've caused your family, your wives, how you've hurt your, your brother, your father-in-law your own father, um, and let's talk about this. And he brings it up and he says, Jacob, right? The deceiver. So there's got to be this moment where Jacob's like, ah, again, like I have to do, I have to come back to this again. But I think that was so important for the next, for the next verse. Jacob had to own his name. Jacob had to identify that he was a deceiver. Verse 28, this man says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So for the first time in this verse, we, we're kind of let in on what's, who Jacob has been fighting with. Up until this point, we don't know. It just says it's a man. But now it mentions this, this, this person has the authority to not only rename Jacob, but also to say you've striven with God and man. Now we realize that this mystery individual is God. Now it kind of makes the story a lot different. You gotta remember it's dark. I think that's the important thing. Not like dark in the city lights or So he's fighting this mystery person. Finally realizes that the conversation I think he knew that when he asked for the blessing in the verse before, but we as the reader come to that realization of this. Keep going. I'm going to read 28, I'm going to read 28 again, 29. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and man, and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So then there's this idea that Jacob wants to. Get, get information. Jacob wants to get insider information on what this guy's name is. Who is this person? Who is this God, man, individual that we're, that we're coming across here? And the interesting part is the guy doesn't give him a name. But that wasn't the point of the fight. The fight wasn't for Jacob to have insider information. The point was this person, this God, man, wanted to change Jacob's life. Wanted Jacob to come to a point of desperation and weakness to finally have a name change, Israel. And then it's interesting that after this conversation takes place, the blessing actually is given. He asks for it. Jacob asks for it. God says, what's your name? Jacob asks, what's your name? No answer. Then the blessing. So then, let's keep moving. Verse, uh, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place, Neil, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Peniel, limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. So in this moment, following the blessing that he was given, which is the new name, Israel. Come back to that in a minute. Jacob identifies that he's been delivered from God. He realizes there's been this sense of he's been saved. I just fought with God, and I left with a bad hip. I'm the winner here. <laughs> That's a pretty good fight, in my opinion. I could have gotten crushed way earlier. But then there's kind of two different things, I think. There's a, there's a personal reminder with the bad hip. There's also a community reminder as they begin to celebrate over a meal, this significant moment in Israel's history, that they're not going to eat this certain part of the animal because of Jacob, their, you know, one of their kind of founding fathers of the faith, was hurt. So there's that idea of a community reflecting and rejoicing over Jacob's deliverance, but also a personal reminder in his, in his, in his bad hip that God has spared him in this fight. That, that, that's kind of the story, and I wanted us to kind of go down it and just kind of journey together in that story. But I think there's four things that I want to really draw out of the story um, that I think are really important that were devotional for me, hope they're encouraging to you, and hopefully they're impactful as we move forward. So the first takeaway that I had was that God initiates in the dark and lonely times. Go back up to... Was it 24? And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It's so important to realize that this that, that God initiated. Jacob was alone, maybe strategizing for the next day, maybe just trying to get a break from the family for a second. We don't know. But this God man came in and initiated it. And I want to pause real quick right here and just kind of give you another inside, maybe help kind of connect the dots here a little bit. I personally believe that this falls in line to be Jesus before he came to earth because it mentions God and a man, which seems to fall in line with who Jesus is. Uh, and there's other stories in the Old Testament. That it might be an angel. It might be an angel of the Lord. Or it might be Jesus. It's up to interpretation. I'll let you read it and figure it out. I personally see this as Jesus before he came. Uh, thousands of years later, uh, in a formal sense, where people knew his name and he was starting to do ministry. But he's existed for all eternity, Jesus has. Uh, maybe not with the name Jesus, but God as, as a man has existed forever. So it makes sense that he would be in this story, and Jacob didn't know who it was, and there was this interesting dynamic. So I just want to propose that to you. Research it. Check me on that. But I would, I would, from now on, just to, for, to be succinct, I'm just going to say Jesus talking about this individual here. Um, and you can, again, disagree with me or not, like, let, just, let's, let's keep going. So, Jesus here initiates this confrontation. It wasn't Jacob. Jacob wasn't looking for a fight. He didn't see somebody coming and just punch him. Right? It wasn't like that. It was out of nowhere. And it wasn't, again, like we talked about earlier, it wasn't for five minutes. 50 minutes, just for hours, until morning. And I think there's also this Old Testament idea that I think is important that people couldn't see God without, without perishing. I think there's a piece that 
God had to end it before daybreak or Jacob would die because he couldn't see him. Think about that too. There's had to be this moment of the hip being dislocated. This idea that Jacob couldn't actually see the person he was fighting. But so often don't we fight an invisible enemy, right? We fight things that we don't know who it is. I just, I just ask you a question, really. This is, my question is, do, do we sometimes fight with someone unknown, thinking that it's, it's an enemy when actually it's really our Savior that we're wrestling with? I know I do. I know there's times I get mad. I get flared up. I get abrasive. And I think someone's against me or the world's out to get me, but really it's God trying to humble me. It's really God trying to show me something. And I get mad at him when really he's actually trying to, do the, trying to help me out and work what's, what's in my life. But Jacob doesn't realize in the first few moments that he's fighting with God. But what do you, I think as, we, as the fight goes on, he realizes that. Maybe, maybe you're fighting an unknown enemy in your life right now. Maybe life is hard. Maybe life is dark right now. Maybe you're in a dark place and you're lonely. And you really think the last thing you need right now is to get in a fight. You just want your peace and quiet. You want to process things. You want to get alone. But maybe in the dark times, maybe in the, in the difficulty, that's where God can actually finally step in and actually do something. And I think this is what God was waiting for, was Jacob to finally take a step back from the turmoil and the stress of his life, his family, the conflict with his brother coming up, and actually humble him in a real physical way, but even more importantly, in a spiritual, transformational way. But there had to be that moment of darkness and loneliness for that to ever even happen in Jacob's life. And maybe that's where you're at right now. You're in a dark and lonely place, and you, you really just want to be relaxed and rest. And maybe what you need is actually God to step in and to, in a good way, wreck your life, in a good way, and to change you from the inside out. It's going to be hard, but I believe that God initiates us, even in our dark and lonely times. My question, really, another question I ask is, would God even, would God dare to injure you to save you eternally? Would God injure you, maybe emotionally, physically, mentally, just like really like come in and say, oh, that really is hard, to, that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a heavy, that's a hard thing to lay my life down and follow Jesus because everything else around me says that that's not the right way. I believe that Jesus says that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. I'm thinking I got that backwards, but um, I think that, so there's that, there's that interesting thought. It's, it's hard. It's countercultural. It can be very, like, humbling to us, but it's also light, easy, freely received at any moment, which is the good thing. Praise the Lord for that. So God initiates us in the dark and lonely times. Number two, a new name, I believe, equals a new identity. 27 and 28, he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have stricken with God and with men and have prevailed. Yeah, so again, we're going back to that title piece, right? Jacob for so long had been haunted, I would say, discouraged by the name that he'd been given because it was very accurate of his, his actions. Almost kind of prophetically, like, that's what you're going to be like. You're going to be a deceiver, you know? And maybe maybe your, your actual, like, name isn't, self-fulfilling prophecy of who you are. Maybe it is. I don't, I, mine's not. But I know that I've been called things, and I've called myself things that are very discouraging and heavy and hard. Maybe people, people have spoken things into your life. You're a failure. You're not good at this. You're this. You're that. 
Or maybe, maybe you've even made mistakes that the society puts upon you. You're, oh, she's a prostitute. Oh, he's homeless. Oh, he's a drug addict. Whatever, fill in the blank. Oh, he's an adulterer. And then society can just put that on you, and then it feels like it's a stain you can't remove. It's a towel that you can't take off. Maybe, maybe that hits home for you more. Um, I think that's what Jacob feels like. But the thing that God does is he initiates it and says, all right, well, who are you? And Jacob says, my name's Jacob. Deceiver. But he says, that's not your name anymore. That's not your name anymore. Your name's Israel. And he kind of, he kind of defines what that means in the next part. You've striven with God and with man, and it prevailed. So now your name isn't your past failures and your past pain, your past junk. It's actually what just happened. That's your new name. And I'm giving it to you. Here's the part that's amazing in the story. Jacob didn't earn the name. He didn't actually beat God in the fight. God spared him. God touched his hip socket. and He leaves with a limp. But Jacob didn't win the fight. Really, the story is being told differently. Okay, Jacob prevailed with God. And, hey, Jacob got impressed. Had Jacob actually fought with God, he would have been destroyed. But the story is rewritten because God is saying, no, no, no. I'm the one who gives you a name. I'm the one who gives you identity. Your identity has now changed from being a failure, being a deceiver, to being one who has been saved and restored by God. And similarly, Jesus does that today. Right? Jesus gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. Dead. We're dead in our sins. We're, we're failures. We've, we've all made mistakes. No one's perfect. That's, that's who we are, yeah. We are, we're all like that. And that's who we are to the grave. Unless Jesus steps in and says, no, like, I've set, you are not, you're not children of God. You've been set free. You're saved. Repent, follow, believe. Turn, believe in me. Believe that I can believe that I have the power and the authority through my life, death, and resurrection to change you. And that's, that's the authority that Jesus has. That scholar can't change my name, right? Pat can't change my name. Because they didn't die, rise again from the grave. They don't have that authority. But Jesus did. And he had that authority even before in this story to have the power to change someone's name, not just so that people started calling him Israel, but because there's an identity and a life change that happened in Jacob's life. And really, if you read from this story on, his life's different. I'm not going to do that today. I encourage you to read it. His life's different. He lives differently. Because he had a moment of, of, of change there. And that's the same offer that Jesus offers today and any time, is that our identity and, and our sinfulness and our brokenness and our hurts and our pain, and even those titles that we've been given or we've put on ourselves that are maybe accurate or not accurate, those all have been nailed to the cross and we're given a new name. We're children of God. And we're loved by God through Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But let's keep going. There's, I think there's some other good stuff here. Number three, kind of the title of the sermon here, but I put, Losing is Victory. I had a friend, or I have a friend, um, who came here from Central Asia and went to college at my school. And on a full ride scholarship to do in computer science stuff, and he was the first person in his family to ever leave his country, first person to ever be, first person to ever go to America. Like they literally put all their money into this into him to go and to be uh, 
the basically the the first one in the family to actually make a name for themselves. And in this culture, if you're familiar, it's very a lot of there's a lot of baggage behind your family supporting you and your family um, wanting you to do what you're doing. So he went into our school, and after a couple of years, a series of events, dropped out of school, lost his job, lost his visa. He was really disappointed. Point of shame, what he was. Had health issues. Lost a lot of weight. And was at rock bottom. Had no had no family here. Was about to be deported. Could have been. He's like, I've, I failed my family. I have no aunt, I have no way to get a job. I have no visa. I have no. What do I do? The second part of the story is that he came here as a, as a nominal Muslim. But through that process, through all that failure, admit that. He began to reevaluate his faith. He began talking about Christianity, about God. He began looking at your scripture. He began to be open. Open about looking at who he is, looking at what that means to follow him. Fast forward a couple years, or a year, um, he calls me and says, hey, or I go back home. I'm already, I've already lived out here. Go back home. We're in the car. We're going to get food. He says, hey, man, once you know, I became a Christian this week. I follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm like, I stopped coming, bro. Like, That's amazing. Like, Why didn't you say something? He's like, yeah, like, I, he's like, I'm really scared because I think my family might want to kill me. I tell them. But I know it's true. I know it's real. And it's worth it. And like in that moment, I just saw like God's grace in his life. I saw like he would never have come to, come to that reality unless he had tasted and seen how much better Jesus was. And in his, all that failure on an earthly sense, no job. Like can't get a job. Has no money. Literally no money in his name. And he's failed. He's dropped out of school. College dropout. Name all, you know, on a very surface level, failure. But now, he's, now he's, he's, he's following Jesus, the child of God, he's loved. And he's even willing to be denied by his family to, to keep close to faith that, he, that he's, he's discovered through God's word and through the Holy Spirit revealing himself to him. And that's just a great story that I, when I think about difficulty, that he lost, yeah, a lot. But he gained so much more. He gained so much more. I think... I think of the parable that Jesus equates his kingdom to, himself to, which is the treasure buried in a field. Basically it says the man sells all that he has to go buy that field. Because what it equates to is that it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Even if you lose everything, you're gaining so much more. Maybe not in an earthly sense, maybe not in a material sense. Like this guy is still going through a lot right now. He's been a Christian for over a year now. He's growing. He's got real problems still. Real, like, earthly needs. But he knows his spiritual life. Firm. He's growing in that. So, yeah, I just want you to think about that. Maybe right now you feel like you're just, it's an L after an L after L in your life. You're just losing, losing, losing in everything. I just want you to realize that there's hope in Jesus. That there's victory in him, even when everything else around you is crumbling and failing. 
And that's what Jacob experienced in, in his life, was failure after failure after failure, deceive, deceitfulness after deceitful story after deceitful thing. Yet God still enters the situation, gives him a new name, comes into it in the dark of night, and gives him hope in life. And ultimately, that was victory, not earned by Jacob, but given freely by God. Again, it's the gospel, right? That we're saved by grace through faith, not by our own doings, so that none of us can boast, but by, the, by God. God has earned it on our behalf. Today, I was in Bible study this week with some guys, and we were talking about reconciling like a budget. And I asked the question, if we have a debt we can't pay, how, how can it be reconciled? And one of the guys was just scratching his head. He's like, blood of Jesus. I said, yes, that's it. The blood of Jesus is what reconciles us, brings back what we couldn't pay, be equal with God, to be in a relationship with God. It's Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, and in his resurrection, proclaims that victory. So maybe today you're, you don't know where you're at in your faith. You don't know if you're Christian, you're kind of figuring out, you're just checking Jesus out right now. I'm glad you're here. I just encourage you to take that step today. Jesus loves you. And just like in Jacob's life, maybe right now you feel like you're just, you're just getting, you're getting beat up, beat, beat over the head by everything around you. Know that there's victory in the blood of Jesus. There's victory in what he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus, in Jesus' words, he says, repent and believe. Turn and believe in me. Follow me today. That's the offer that's always freely given. I encourage you to receive that offer today, right now. Follow him as Lord. Respond later if you need to. But that's the offer that's given in Jacob's life here. And I want to offer that because God is working today in this church, in our community. Take and receive that gift, knowing that you've not earned it. God's earned it, and he wants to give it to you. And that the story is retold, and that your failures and your shortcomings are retold as victory through Christ. Last thing, number four. Boast in your gospel limp. This is kind of for the people in the room that are, would say, hey, I'm, I follow Jesus. I'm a, I follow Jesus as Lord. I believe I, I'm a believer. This is for you. I, I want to encourage you with this and challenge you with this. Jacob, we don't know how long he had a, had a, a limp for. It might have been for a season. It might, it might have been for the rest of his life. Nonetheless, it was obvious, and it was probably uncomfortable because there wasn't medicine at that time. That was, you know, so... He was limping through life. And my question is, I wonder if he was bitter or if he worshipped. And I think we see in verse 30 he worshipped. So Jacob called the name the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I just imagine like the next day or two or however long it was, whenever he finally limped up to his brother, and to kind of bring the story to a close, they actually had a great peaceful encounter together, praise the Lord. Um, later in the story. But they come together, and I, I can just, I'm kind of, this isn't in the Bible, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of dreaming here, but I'm imagining Esau, or even like his family, but what happened? Like, you were walking fine, why are you walking like this? And him just saying, I saw God and I was delivered. I saw God face to face and I was spared. Praise, praise God. And that beginning to be his new testimony, that to be, beginning to be his new story, not, hey, I've been deceitful all these years, but hey, I came encounter with God and I left alive and I received a new name. And I think that is what God can do in our lives. We have limps, maybe not physical limps, maybe you do. Maybe it's, maybe it's just, you just have, we're all, we're all broken people, we're all messed up people. Maybe you have things that are just what you would consider a limp. 
a deficiency. My question is, do you worship through that or do you become critical and bitter towards God and others? Because I think God, in this story, uses Jacob's physical ailment to be a testimony of what he's done. I challenge you to use your shortcomings, your failures, your story, your pain, your struggle to be a testimony of God's grace in your life so that others say, hey, like, actually, he's a Christian and he still struggles with that. I could be a Christian too. Rather than thinking that there's like this unachievable level of Christianity that you have to be at to be a Christian, it's not reality, but that we're all struggling and limping through this life together. Um, I've, heard, I've heard it put before, um, the idea of picking yourself up by your own bootstraps and moving on with life. And that that is kind of a cop-out for Christianity, the idea of um, using our faith as a crutch. And one pastor says, Absolutely, it's a crutch. Both my legs are busted, and I need my faith to move forward. I cannot pick myself up by my own bootstraps, ever. I think that's just a good, a good perspective to have, is that we all have busted legs. We can't walk the Christian walk alone. We need others. We need, we need to believe and hope that, that God has given us in Christ to limp together. Here's the good news. There is hope in eternal life where there will, will be no more limping. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. And we're limping together to that point. And we want to bring others along the way. Limp with us. All our things are all broken. But we're, getting, we're coming to eternity. We're coming to heaven together. And there's that final restoration that comes. It's promised. Uh, Jesus talks about it. The Old Testament points toward it. And Revelation kind of digs it out even more clearly. This hope for eternal life. This hope that there will be no more pain, sin, stress. Uh, it will be in relationship with God fully finally, which our souls long for. But until that day, as believers, let's limp together as a church. Let's bring others. Let's not fool each other. We're all broken people. Let's love others. Let's care for others. And let's, let's point people to Jesus, who is the one who is the healer of our souls and gives us life. We want to share that and proclaim that to others all over Denver, wherever you go in your life. Let's pray. Well, I thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Jacob. Thank you for your victory on the cross and your death and resurrection. And even as, as we've all failed countless times, God, thank you that there's hope today. Pray that we would worship you, we would be able to respond to you. Holy Spirit, speak in our hearts right now. Pray this all in your name.